Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, which starts off with, uh, I suppose, a sadness in that what I'd like to do is mark the passing of one of the true greats of photography who you may or may not have heard of, and you may not be aware of his importance to photography. Who am I talking about? Well, Harry Evans or Sir Harold Evans, uh, as he uh, became later known and was known to people who didn't know him. Evans was born in Eccles in 1928 to Welsh parents whom he described in his 2009 memoir as the self-consciously respectable working class. He failed the 11 plus needed to gain entry to grammar school and attended the St Mary's Central School in Manchester and a business school for a year to learn shorthand, a requirement to becoming a journalist. He went on to become an iconic, trailblazing, campaigning, innovative editor of the Sunday Times from 1967 to 1981. In 1984, he moved to the United States, where he had positions in journalism with US News and World Report, The Atlantic Monthly and The Daily News in New York. In 1986, he founded Condé Nast Traveller magazine. He wrote various books on history and journalism, such as The American Century. In 2000, he retired from positions in journalism to spend more time on his writing. From 2001, he served as editor-at-large of The Week magazine, and from 2005, he was a contributor to The Guardian and BBC Radio 4. Evans was invested as a Knight Bachelor in 2004 also for services to journalism, and on the 13th of June 2011, he was appointed editor-at-large of the Reuters news agency. From 2013 until 2019, he served as chairman of the European Press Prize Jury Panel. So all of that is the history and the life of Harry Evans, someone who I was incredibly fortunate to meet on a number of occasions and talk about photography with. But the most important thing for me about Harry and about his contribution to photography, and I'm sure if any of you listening to this I recognise the book I'm about to talk about, you'll understand why I felt it was so important to spend time on it in this particular episode. The book is Pictures on a Page, and it came out in 1982, uh, a time when I was a very impressionable early teenager, and it changed my life, and it taught me more about photography than any photography book has since, and I think ever will. I'll never forget the inclusion of a photograph of Muhammad Ali's fist, life-size across the double-page spread, daring you to match your fist size against the great boxers. It was inspirational to me, just that one image, because it made me realise, as I then went on to become an art director of magazines, how photography could be used how it could have impact and how it could connect with the audience. And that a photograph was something that to be treasured, it should be treasured and it should be used and it should be respected in a way in which perhaps the photographer expected, but also perhaps by adding something to it. Not adding something to the photograph, but adding, adding something to the context 
in which that photograph was seen. So there it is, 1982, pictures on a page. Get it now. It's available on eBay. It's available on A Books. It's available all over the place. And there's a lot of copies out there and it can be pretty cheap. But I guarantee you that it will be the most important investment you'll make in a photo book this year. I suppose really one of the other things I got from Harry, as well as uh, the uh, influences and the information and the education that I got from his book Pitched on a Page, was the importance of the story and the importance of knowing your story and getting your facts. And it really surprises me so often with photographers that they feel as if they wish to label themselves within these kind of fake uh, areas. I'm a portrait photographer. I'm a still life photographer. I'm a landscape photographer, a documentary photographer, an art photographer, a fashion photographer. Go on and on and on. But what are these definitions really? And why do we want to label ourselves? Surely that by doing so, we restrict the creative person we are or we could be. But also these labels are so inaccurate. I want to be an interiors photographer, for example, which I have done quite a lot of interiors photography over the years. Sure, I'm going to photograph the house and the interior, but I'm also going to be photographing some still lives that I see. I'm going to be doing a portrait, perhaps, of the, the owners of the house. I might do some landscape photography in the garden or of the house. I'm documenting that space. I'm documenting those people. I'm documenting how those people live. So already within that very small example, you can see that all the labels fall apart. There's no reason for them. And why is that important? Well, increasingly, what I do find is that as photographers now, we're doing so much more than we used to do. We need to be flexible. We need to be able to move from one area to the other. It's very difficult to do that when you've put a big sticker on your forehead, forehead, I should say, saying you're one type of thing. If somebody else wants you to do something else, they might read the sticker and not look at the work. I've spent a lot of my life living down in Brighton on the south coast of England. And therefore, it's really nice this week to be able to welcome to the podcast a fellow uh, Brightonian. It's Claire Strand, born in 1973. Claire's a British conceptual photographer. Her photography has been published in The Gone Astray in 2003. Claire Strand, Photoworks Monograph, 2009. Skirts 2013 and Girl Plays with Snake in 2016. Her work has been widely exhibited in venues such as the Centre Pompidou in Paris, Tate Britain, the Salzburg uh, Museum of Modern Art and the Victoria and Albert Museum. Her work is held in the collections of MoMA, SF MoMA, the Centre Pompidou, the British Council, the Arts Council, the New York Public Library and Cornell University. In 2019, she was nominated for the Deutsche Börse Photography Foundation Prize and awarded an honorary fellowship of the Royal Photographic Society. Claire is also one half of the collaborative partnership MacDonald Strand and head of the Intangible for the Institute 
of unnecessary research. Story one. My sister. In my mum and dad's photo album, there's a square photo with a centimetre white border. It's an image of my sister fast asleep. She must be about eight years old, which would make me about four when the photo was taken. The eider down is gold and the pillow is pink. Her right arm is bent up around her head and her dark short black hair is messy and her face is beautiful. When I saw this photo of my sister, I was so jealous, I insisted my dad take a photo of me asleep. But to my knowledge, he never complied. Story two, photography. When I was in fourth year primary school, Mrs. Rimmer wrote the word photography on the blackboard and she asked us to put our hands up to read out what it said to the class. In my head, I read it as photography. Annette Lawford put her hands up and said, photography. I was amazed at this epiphany. I remember thinking what an interesting word it was and how clever Annette Lawford was. Story three, Lisa's bedroom. We must have been around 13 or 14 and I used to spend a lot of time at my friend Lisa's house. She was and still is one of my best friends. Plus she had a TV, a phone, a sink, a sofa bed and a constantly replenished biscuit barrel in her bedroom. Lisa's parents had a lodger whose job was to travel the country and photograph the product displays of a popular fizzy drink. He used a Polaroid camera and had a stash of Polaroid film in the small box bedroom he rented. Lisa and I used to liberate boxes of the film and like many young girls, we used it to photograph ourselves. We had limited wardrobe, but nevertheless, we scraped costumes together. It's curious to see what our choice of characters were, an old woman, a builder, a student, an expected mother and bit actors from the film Grease. Polaroid, even then, was relatively expensive, but we used it with gay abandon as we felt extremely confident in our stealth-like ability to acquire more. During our visits to the box bedroom, we became aware that the lodger also kept a large quantity of pornographic magazines, which we studied with great interest. In retrospect, this entire episode may well have been a seminal moment in my introduction to photography and its varied uses. The lodger never mentioned his ever-diminishing pile of Polaroid film, nor made any efforts to move his Scandinavian fetish porn collection. I recall us feeling disappointed when he finally left his job and vacated Lisa's parents' box bedroom. Story 4. Corin Day. My secondary school was on the outskirts of Corydon. I didn't enjoy school in the least. Our school jumpers were a vibrant green, such an odd colour for a school uniform. At a particular low point, I had to see the deputy head, where I explained my concerns. She told me how, when she was on public transport, she would look at people and write down their descriptions and her thoughts about them. She suggested I did the same too whilst I was at school. At the time, I appreciated her off-script response. But I appreciate it even more so now. Funnily enough, the model Kate Moss was in the year below me. I remember her bringing her first fashion shoots for a teen magazine into the canteen at school. Quite soon after, she started working with Corin Day for The Face, 
resulting in these infamous fashion spreads. The image they made, the images they made, had a profound effect on me. I was both intrigued and anxious, and from that moment I started buying the face and would hold my breath whilst looking through the magazine. Rolling on a decade and a bit, I was on the same talk series at Mason University with Corinne Day, and there was a bizarre circular feeling to this. In no way would I have imagined I would be so close to someone that felt so far away. I wanted to tell her my story, but while sitting next to her it didn't feel right. She was in her own world, and I didn't want to disrupt it. Story 5. Gordon In a non-linear process, I ended up attending the Editorial Photography Degrees course at Brighton University in 1992. On the first day, we entered, were entered into the Sally's Benny Lecture Theatre and were shown the film The Rebel with Tony Hancock. It was such a clever film to show a group of aspiring artists and since I've watched it a million times and I've drummed it into my daughters also. I had a packet of soft mints and I turned to my neighbour and offered him one. I much later found out that that person sitting next to me had to go to an emergency dentist as the mint had dislodged his tooth. I also found out he was on my photography degree course. This person now has been my husband for 25 years. Photography has punctuated my life in so many ways, like many people's I assume. However, unlike the Annette Lawford days, I am less enamoured by the word. It even makes me cringe at times. But maybe when you have lived with something for so long, it's only reasonable to feel a push and pull, a love and a hate. These stories have little relevance to the work I make as an artist, yet they are a series of stories that through chance and happenstance have perhaps brought me to where I am now. Thank you, Claire, for your contribution this week. I just love the creativity she brought to answering that question. And I have to say, she, she spoke at the end there about sort of chance and happenstance. I didn't really know very much about Claire's background at all. I was very aware of her work. And I'd also um, worked with her husband, Gordon, back in 2006 with the uh, Brighton Photo Biennale. But I wasn't aware of Claire's history and... It's so strange that I too was close to uh, Croydon growing up. Um, I knew Kate Moss at exactly that time that uh, Claire was talking about there. And the course she did in Brighton, I was part of the people who kind of helped set it up and write it. So it was really strange to just hear that and suddenly hear so many synchronicities between my own life and her own life. That idea of the personal is, a, is another theme that keeps coming up in the uh, weekly contributions from photographers. And so often going back to those childhood experiences that shape us um, to such a great extent. There's also, also wonderful little details in there, particularly things like uh, the lodger with the... Uh, the archive of porn magazines. It seems such a, a strange scenario nowadays, doesn't it, to have a, an archive of porn magazines when everything is available online, I presume. But there you go. Really interesting from Claire. The power of the Polaroid as well. I wonder how many of you listening to uh, this podcast had that same kind of sense of magic when first seeing a Polaroid and seeing the image appearing 
And I know there's an awful lot of Polaroids kicking around from that late uh, 1970s, early 80s period of a lot of us with uh, soap in our hair trying to spike it up and uh, kind of dressing up and taking photographs. It sort of ties in with that whole thing of the photo booth as well. Again, another lost photographic, I suppose, process really, or practice. I do know of one, or there used to be one in Brighton that you could use. I took my daughters there, actually, and I love the uh, the picture of the three of them playing around in the four different frames. Another interesting element of the development of photographic practice, how we see it, how we perceive it, how we engage with it. So thank you, Claire. It was a real trip down memory lane for me and also uh, just a wonderful thing to listen to. It's certainly one of those contributions that um, demands to be listened to more than once, maybe more than twice or three times. As I said last week, the book's coming out with all of these contributions in, um, hopefully over the next couple of months before Christmas. So uh, Claire's contribution will also be in that book, including one of the Polaroids that she talks about there in her contribution. So as we're coming to the end of the podcast, it's um, it's been a reflective one, I feel. Um, I've been looking back on the, the importance of watching and looking at pictures in the page and the passing of um, Harry Evans, just as Claire was looking back at those teenage experiences and first meeting uh, her husband. Slightly kind of melancholic, but at the same time with a real sense of gratitude for the, for the past. Um, the last week has seen announcements that it doesn't seem as if COVID is going to be over quickly. Goodness knows what's going to be happening over the coming weeks with the American election. That really does um, promise some dark days ahead. I really hope that isn't the case. But I know that whatever any of us do, We're all going to look after the people around us, look after our memories, and most importantly of all, take care.